Worldwide, cardiovascular disease affects the lives of hundreds of millions. Dedicated cardio nerds everywhere are working hard to fight this global epidemic. These are their stories. Hey, Cardio Nerds family, this is Amit. On behalf of all of us at Cardio Nerds, we are thrilled to bring to you our Decipher the Guideline series for the 2022 AHA ACC HFSA Guideline for the Management of Heart Failure. Get ready for short and bite sized, high impact clinical vignette based questions designed to highlight core concepts based on cutting edge evidence that are relevant to your practice. The cases we use are hypothetical and created for educational purposes only. This series was developed by the Cardio Nerds and created in collaboration with the American Heart Association and the Heart Failure Society of America. It was created by 30 trainees spanning college student through advanced fellows with mentorship from Dr. Anu Lala, Dr. Robert Menz, and Dr. Nancy Schweitzer. We thank Dr. Judy Bazanson and Dr. Elliot Antman for their guidance along the way. So friends, join us as we get to learn about the heart failure guidelines and beyond from 16 leading faculty experts. And now, let's get nerdy. The following question refers to section 3.2, 4.1, 4.3, and 4.4 of 2022 AHA, ACC, and HFSA guidelines for the management of heart failure. The question is asked by Texas Tech University medical student and CardioNotes Academy intern, Dr. Adriana Maris, answered by Baylor University Cardiology Fellow and CardioNotes FIE trialist, Dr. Siva Patula, and then by expert faculty, Dr. Sandy Ziroth. Dr. Ziroth is an advanced heart failure and transplant cardiologist, head of the Medical Heart Failure Program, the Winnipeg Regional Health Authority Cardiac Sciences Program, and an associate professor in the section of cardiology at the University of Manitoba. Dr. Ziroth is a past president of the Canadian Heart Failure Society and she is a steering committee member for Paraglide Heart Failure and PI mentor for Cardionauts Clinical Trial Program. Dr. Ziroth, it is an honor to have you with us. Pleasure to be here tonight. So, Adriana, do you have a question for us? Yes. The following question is, Ms. A.H. is a 48-year-old woman who presents with a three-month history of progressively worsening exertional dyspnea and symmetric bilateral lower extremity edema. She has no history of recent upper respiratory symptoms or chest pain. She denies any tobacco, alcohol, or recreational drug use. There is no family history of premature CAD or HF. On exam, her blood pressure is 110 over 66 millimeters of mercury. Heart rate is 112 beats per minute. And respiratory rate is 18 breaths per minute with oxygen saturation of 98% on ambient room air. She has jugular venous distension of about 12 centimeters of water, bivasilar crackles, an S3 heart sound, and bilateral lower extremity edema. Complete blood count, serum electrolytes, kidney function tests, liver chemistry tests, glucose level, iron studies, and lipid levels are unremarkable. An electrocardiogram shows sinus tachycardia with normal intervals and no conduction delays. A transthoracic echocardiogram demonstrates a left ventricular ejection fraction of 25%, normal right ventricular size and function, and no valvular abnormalities. Which of the following diagnostic tests has a class 1 indication for further evaluation? A. Cardiac catheterization B. Referral for genetic counseling C. Thyroid function studies or D. Cardiac MRI. Shiv, based on Ms. A.H.'s profile, 
What diagnostic test you think would be best indicating for evaluating heart failure? Well, Adriana, the initial evaluation for this patient with newly diagnosed heart failure is of utmost importance. The answer in this case is C, thyroid function studies. These have a class one indication for the initial evaluation of heart failure. While the common causes of heart failure include coronary artery disease, hypertension, and valvular heart disease, other etiologies such as arrhythmic, toxic, inflammatory, metabolic, including endocrinopathies and nutritional, infiltrative, genetic, stress-induced, peripartum, and many more could be implicated. It is important to thoroughly evaluate the etiology of a given patient's heart failure as this diagnosis may have implications for treatment, prognosis, and potentially counseling of family members. For patients who are diagnosed with heart failure, the laboratory evaluation should include a complete blood count, urinalysis, serum electrolytes, BUN and serum creatinine, glucose, lipids, liver function tests, iron studies, and thyroid-stimulating hormones. These studies provide important information regarding comorbidities, suitability for treatments, potential adverse effects of treatments, as well as potential causes or confounders of heart failure. It may also provide information on severity and prognosis of heart failure. Heart failure is often caused by coronary atherosclerosis. An evaluation for ischemic heart disease can help in determining the presence of significant CAD. Non-invasive stress testing can be helpful in identifying these patients who likely have obstructive CAD. Invasive testing or CT angiography can detect and characterize the extent of CAD. Therefore, in patients with heart failure, an evaluation for possible ischemic disease can be useful to identify the cause and guide management. However, this is a class 2A indication. With regards to genetic counseling, familial cardiomyopathy is increasingly recognized and may be the underlying etiology of patients previously classified as having idiopathic dilated cardiomyopathy. A detailed family history may provide the first clue of a genetic basis. A three-generation family pedigree obtained by genetic healthcare professionals improved the rate of detection of a familial process as compared with routine care. Furthermore, a family history of cardiomyopathy, as determined by the three-generation pedigree analysis, was associated with findings of gadolinium enhancement on cardiac MRI and increased major adverse cardiac events. The possibility of an inherited cardiomyopathy provides the impetus for cascade screening of undiagnosed family members, thereby potentially avoiding preventable adverse events in affected relatives by implementation of GDMT and other management that would otherwise not be initiated. Therefore, in patients with cardiomyopathy, a three-generation family history should be obtained or updated when assessing the cause of the cardiomyopathy to identify a potential inherited disease. In select patients with non-ischemic cardiomyopathy, referral for genetic counseling and testing is reasonable to identify conditions that could guide treatment for patients and family members. Our patient did not identify any family history of cardiomyopathy. With regards to cardiac MRI, it provides non-invasive characterization of the myocardium that may provide insights into the cause of heart failure. Registry data shows that cardiac MRI findings commonly impact patient care management and provide diagnostic information in patients with suspected myocarditis or cardiomyopathy. However, routine screening with cardiac MRI is not recommended. 
The Outsmart HF trial recently demonstrated that routine cardiac MRI use did not yield more specific causes of heart failure than a selective strategy based on echocardiographic and clinical findings. The guidelines, therefore, give a Class 2A recommendation for the use of cardiac MRI in diagnosis and management in patients with heart failure or cardiomyopathy. So, the main takeaway is that while common causes of heart failure include ischemic heart disease, hypertension, and valvular heart disease, a patient presenting with new-onset heart failure should receive a complete initial evaluation, including thorough laboratory testing for potentially reversible causes such as thyroid disease or other endocrine, metabolic, or nutritional causes. Dr. Zyra, what are your thoughts on this case and the approach to the initial evaluation of a patient with newly diagnosed heart failure? Well, it's such an honor to be here, and I feel like there's not much for me to add. That was a very extensive and accurate answer. And as we all know, you know, diagnosing heart failure may not necessarily be straightforward. And our recent ACC, AHA, HFSA heart failure guidelines have within them a beautiful flowchart for the diagnostic algorithm for patients with suspected heart failure. And the assessment includes clinical history, physical exam, EKG and labs, as you featured, and then natriuretic peptides are a key component if an NT pro BNP is over 125 picograms per mil or BNP greater than 35 picograms per mil, that confirms a heart failure diagnosis. We then often go on to, most traditionally, a transthoracic echocardiogram, which will then quantify ejection fraction. And then you know if you're dealing with HEF-REF, heart failure with mildly reduced ejection fraction, and heart failure with preserved ejection fraction, and ejection fraction is still relevant in device optimization of your patients as well. In real life, I'd say I probably classify heart failure etiologies into ischemic versus non-ischemic. That impacts probably in further investigations, potentially therapies that you add on. Both classes would get GDMT, the four foundational therapies. And obviously, investigating non-ischemic etiologies of heart failure is a little bit more complicated. Table 5 within the guidelines gives a really nice extensive list, builds upon some of the ones that you mentioned as well. And of course, we have to remember that COVID actually can cause a non-ischemic form of heart failure and myocarditis as well. So I think, unfortunately, our list of etiologies of heart failure continues to expand. Thank you, Dr. Sharath, for those interesting and important takeaways. Like you mentioned, a complete initial evaluation like the one described on the flowchart, figure one of the guidelines that includes clinical history, KG labs, natriuretic peptides should be integrated in the patient's care to confirm a heart failure diagnosis. Dr. Sharath, we can't thank you enough for your time and the knowledge shared with us today. Thank you for having me. Beep. Beep.